Spider Man and Freeze in full effect. Welcome to another episode of Pemmy Current. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today I bring you Season 1, Episode 2 of the Toxicology series that I recorded with Suzanne Mazur from Seattle Children's. This episode focuses on decontamination and enhanced elimination. And in practice, I think we often forget to decontaminate patients when they're exposed to poisons and toxins. And don't forget, with this episode, we are offering CME and MOC Part 2 through Cincinnati Children's. More details in the show notes and on penblog.com. Without further ado, take it away, Suzanne. Hello, today I'm going to discuss decontamination and enhanced elimination for poisoned pediatric patients that you might see in your ED. So talking about decontamination, here today I will mostly focus on the GI tract. If you have a patient who has a corrosive exposure to skin or eye, make sure to remove their clothing, protect yourself, and rinse the area very well. Also, contact your local poison center for specific instructions. The phone number to the poison center is always 1-800-222-1222. You can call that number from wherever you are and you will be routed to the appropriate poison center. So in terms of decontamination, first let's talk about something kind of retro, syrup of Ipecac. This used to be recommended in the 1980s and up through the mid-1990s. Actually, when I was a pediatric resident, we gave a prescription to each family for syrup of Ipecac at the four-month visit. But since then, there have been lots of studies showing lots of complications and not much help from Ipecac. So it is no longer recommended and you don't need to know anything about syrup of Ipecac besides that you don't need to prescribe it. Next, let's talk about gastric lavage. So gastric lavage is kind of what it sounds like. You use a large orogastric tube and you push saline aliquots into the patient's stomach and then suck them back out. And you can do this repeatedly. This sounds pretty painful and difficult to do. It doesn't reliably remove actual pills or pill fragments. It will only remove liquid or medication that's already in a slurry. It also takes a while and will delay time to administration of activated charcoal. So if activated charcoal would be useful to absorb the substance that's been ingested, there's no reason to do gastric lavage as well. When I recommend gastric lavage, which is pretty rare, I save it for an ingestion that is massive, life-threatening, and recent, usually within about 60 minutes, that also has no other antidote does not absorb to activated charcoal and where the airway is protected. Either the patient is alert or the airway is intubated. So with all those criteria, it is rarely used, but it's important to know about gastric lavage. Next, let's talk about activated charcoal. So activated charcoal is really interesting. It's this highly absorbent powder substance that's made into a slurry the powder or slurry sticks to most poisons and prevents them from being further absorbed into the bloodstream. When you give activated charcoal, you should know that it is in the form of a sandy black 
milkshake looking substance. It has a really weird mouth feel. It doesn't taste too bad. And if you have the opportunity to taste it where you work, you definitely should try it. I use activated charcoal if it's a potentially life-threatening amount of medication. It's been within about 60 minutes And if the patient is alert and protecting their airway or the airway is already protected by intubation. And if the medication that was ingested sticks to activated charcoal. Ideally, if the patient can drink it, and think about this, a toddler who just had a big ingestion of, let's say, liquid acetaminophen is more open-minded than your average toddler for ingesting something new. So they may just be willing to drink the activated charcoal milkshake as well. That is ideal if they can drink it PO. But if not, an NG tube can be used to administer the charcoal. It's really important to remember what activated charcoal works for and what we don't recommend it for. And this is not a complete list, but an easy way to remember is in general, activated charcoal does not work for metals and liquid poisons. So when I say metals, I mean if you can find the drug in the periodic table of elements, then it generally will not stick to charcoal. So charcoal does not work well for iron, lead, cyanide, potassium, calcium, lithium, and fluoride, all in the periodic table. Also, most liquid poisons, like alcohols, for example, are too rapidly absorbed and do not stick well to charcoal. Same thing with hydrocarbons. For corrosives or things that burn on the way down, we definitely don't want to put charcoal down there as well because it will obscure the picture for the person doing the endoscopy. And if the patient happens to vomit, then they're more likely to have another corrosive exposure as the medication comes back out. Let's talk about enhanced elimination now. So tricks toxicologists use to get rid of a medication that's already been ingested. First, I'll talk about whole bowel irrigation. So this is kind of like a colonoscopy prep. We use a polyethylene glycol solution to rinse out poisons from above to below. The time when I recommend using this whole bowel irrigation is when there has been an ingestion of a sustained release medication, so something that's going to have long-lasting effects as it's absorbed all the way through the GI tract, when that's been ingested in a life-threatening amount, and if the substance is not otherwise absorbed by activated charcoal. So again, those periodic table medications, those are times if there's a big iron ingestion and the iron is distributed through the colon, that's a time when we might try to do whole bowel irrigation to get it out from below. Again, we don't recommend using whole bowel irrigation if the airway is not protected or if there's a problem with the intestines such as obstruction or ileus. And now I'll briefly talk about other tricks that toxicologists like me use to enhance elimination of certain drugs. What about urine alkalinization? This is when we add sodium bicarb to the IV fluids to help with the elimination of certain medications. The biggest example of that is salicylate poisoning, and that works by trapping the salicylate in its ionic form in the renal tubule, so it's more likely to be peed out. 
and I'll talk more about this in a future Salicylate Focused podcast episode. What about hemodialysis? Toxicologists and nephrologists are friends. We use hemodialysis to eliminate certain drugs from the blood. The drug has to have the right properties, like it needs to have a small volume of distribution and low protein binding in order to be appropriate to be dialyzed. And if we have any questions, we talk to our poison center and our friendly neighborhood pediatric nephrologist. What about intralipids? Intralipids are a relatively new treatment that we sometimes use in toxicology. Intralipids are an IV lipid emulsion. It was first discovered for cardiovascular toxicity that came along with bupivacaine overdose and it was first used by anesthesiologists. In fact, anesthesiologists carry intralipids for just that reason in case of a bupivacaine overdose. More recently, its use was expanded, and now toxicologists will recommend it for extremely severe toxicity of a fat-soluble drug. The mechanism of action of intralipids is thought to be um, the lipid sink theory, which basically means that you inject fat particles into the blood, and the active drug goes into the fat particles and stops being as active. Also, it's thought that lipids provide some energy for the myocardium, so if it's a cardiotoxic medication, the lipids may help the heart function better. So far in toxicology, we only really have case reports of intralipids being used successfully in a severely poisoned patients. There are some positive results in rescuing people in severe toxicity, but of course case reports are often skewed towards the ones with a positive outcome. There are case reports of positive outcomes for lipid rescue in tricyclic antidepressant, calcium channel blocker, beta blocker, and bupropion overdose. In general, you're going to want to consult with your poison center and your toxicologist, but think about intralipids when you have a severely poisoned patient for whom you tried everything and they're still deteriorating. It just might work, and then if if it does or if it doesn't, write a case report either way. And finally, what about antidotes? When I signed up for toxicology fellowship, I thought, Everything's going to be about walking in the room and giving a cool antidote and saving the patient's life. But as we all know, it's not really about antidotes at all. And most of toxicology is just really, really good, meticulous, supportive care. But we do have a few antidotes, so let's briefly review them here. Antidote for acetaminophen is N-acetylcysteine, and we can give that orally or IV. Antidote for opioids is naloxone or Narcan. Antidote for toxic alcohols, methanol, and ethylene glycol is ethanol or more commonly used fomepazole or antazole. Antidote for organophosphate poisoning is atropine or pralidoxime, otherwise called 2PAM. If you see met hemoglobinemia, the treatment may just be very good supportive care, but we also do have an antidote called methylene blue. For iron, we chelate iron, get it out of the bloodstream with an antidote called deferoxamine. And for cyanide, we have a very cool cyanide antidote kit. So that about wraps it up for 
the general approach to decontamination and enhanced elimination, and a little bit about antidotes in your poisoned pediatric patient. Don't forget to call a poison center no matter where you are. The phone number is 1-800-222-1222. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you all next week. Thank you again, Suzanne. You can check out all of the episodes of the Toxicology Series and of PEM Currents in general via your favorite podcast service. Check out more great educational content focused on pediatric emergency medicine at PEMblog.com. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets. Check out the Facebook page. And we'd really appreciate it if you left a comment or review. The feedback's incredibly important. Until next time, this has been Brad Soboleski for PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast.